Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. A new era in leadership at NC State, gay marriage under review, and the stories you missed over the holidays. I'm Evan Garris. Stay tuned for these stories and more on the January 11th edition of Eye on the Triangle. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle. A brief rundown of the latest news. From WKNC in Raleigh, I'm John Boyer. Here now the top headline. In Raleigh, NCSU's quest for a new chancellor has come to, to, come to a close. The search committee announced its decision to elect Dr. William Randolph, or Randy Woodson, on January 8th, bringing the months-long search to a close, according to the university website. Dr. Woodson will be the 14th chancellor of NC State and will assume his duties no later than May 1st. His salary will be $420,000 annually. Dr. Woodson was formerly the executive vice president for academic affairs and provost at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. Caitlin Colley will have more on this story later in the show. Just as the New Jersey legislature closed its debate on, the gay mar- on gay marriage in a disappointing loss for gay rights proponents, an attempt in California to overturn Proposition 8 is gaining momentum, according to the New York Times. The constitutionality of the referendum that was passed in November of 2008 by a slim majority of California voters is being called into question via a case unfolding in federal court in San Francisco. Opening statements were given today and were marked by pointed questions directed at both sides from Judge Vaughn R. Walker. Heated debate is expected throughout the course of the trial. Plans to televise the proceedings were scrapped earlier today as the U.S. Supreme Court intervened and applied a temporary stay on the decision, claiming it needed more time to consider the issue. Here is a very brief summary of the stories you may have missed over the holidays. On December 18th and 19th, a massive snowstorm shut down life from Asheville to Long Island, dumping nearly two feet of snow near Washington, D.C., and prompting far-reaching travel disruptions. And then on December 24th, the United States Senate voted 60 to 39 to pass the $848 billion Affordable Health Care for Americans Act. The Senate version, which does not include a public option, faces reconciliation with the House version sometime in the upcoming weeks. On Christmas Day, December 25th, a 23-year-old Nigerian man named Umar Farouk Abdul-Motalib attempted to detonate explosives concealed in his underwear on a northwestern flight from Amsterdam to Detroit. His failure nevertheless prompted security changes and massive delays at airports worldwide. On January 4th, the world's tallest structure, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, officially opened. The 2,717-foot structure cost approximately $1.5 billion to construct and is nearly five times as tall as the RBC Plaza in downtown Raleigh. In business news, amid signs that the economy is recovering, the Dow Jones nudged a half percent higher today to close at 10,664. The Nasdaq was barely down and the S&P 500 took an 8.5% drop. A new unemployment report suggested that the economy may be on the verge of creating new jobs, though December unemployment continued to rise. Nationwide, gas prices are approaching the $3 mark, with crude around $82 a barrel. In entertainment, NBC affiliates' complaints about low ratings from the 10 p.m. Jay Leno show prompted the network to move Leno back to his old 11.35 time slot. Rather, those changes would occur after the Olympics in February. Current Tonight Show host Conan O'Brien would be forced to move back to midnight, but it's not yet known what Conan will do. Also this afternoon, TMZ reported that Simon Cowell is about to start his last season on American Idol. Cowell will join Paula Abdul's departure, whose seat is now filled by Ellen DeGeneres. Cowell's plans to focus his attention on launching a U.S. version of The X Factor in 2011, the British show best known here for launching Susan Boyle and Leona Lewis. As if the bright-eyed Bill O'Reilly and bushy-tailed Glenn Beck weren't enough to have the world at its knees, Fox News is reporting that Fox News has added the sumptuous Sarah Palin to its list of regular contributors. Lady Sarah has reportedly signed a multi-year deal with the cable news outlet to offer her political commentary and... analysis to the oh-so-hungry masses. In a written release, Palin said that she was, quote, thrilled to be joining the great talent and management team at Fox News. It's it's wonderful to be part of a place that values fair and balanced news. You tell them, Sarah. Do you have $9,000 to blow? The Huffington Post says a New Jersey company unveiled the world's first sex robot at the Adult Entertainment Expo in Las Vegas, Nevada. Roxy is the name of the rubber doll, now capable of speaking pre-recorded phrases via a laptop hookup. The capabilities are not unlike a child's doll, pull the cord and it says mama, but with extra sensitivity and a variety of personas from a wild Wendy to a frigid Farah. No word on if the company plans on releasing a blue James Cameron's avatar version. 
On this day in 1964, United States Surgeon General Dr. Luther Leonidas Terry published a report saying that smoking may be hazardous to health. No one saw that one coming. The first such statement ever made by the U.S. government. Birthday shout-outs go to... Alexander Hamilton, born this day in 1755, he's that dude on the $10 bill. And in 1971, Mary J. Blige was born, everyone's favorite, favorite rather, R&B singer. For the weather tonight, mostly cloudy skies and a low temperature in the upper 20s. Much improved from a low of 15 this morning. It will, however, be our 10th night in a row with temperatures below freezing. Don't be surprised to see some light flurries overnight and during the morning hours, but don't worry about any accumulations. For tomorrow, expect a high of 92, rather 40 degrees, and the skies will be mostly sunny. Sunny skies dominate the weather for the extended forecast, with the cold snap finally coming to an end, with highs in the upper 40s on Wednesday, mid-50s on Thursday, and upper 50s on Friday. Currently, it's 32 degrees and mostly cloudy at RDU Airport. The time is 7.06. More people in, a, in Raleigh listen to Ion Tr- the Triangle than any other city in America. I'm John Boyer. I'm Evan Garris. Now stay tuned as Ion the Triangle continues next with sports and Tyler Everett. Now you're listening to Eye on the Triangles sports segment with Tyler Everett. Tyler, why don't you give us kind of a brief rundown of what happened over winter break? Um, bas- basketball team was real busy over break. Uh, they got started shortly after we finished with our exams, and the team finished with theirs, obviously. Traveled to Wake Forest, a game I went to to cover. Um, really did not play very well against, at all against Wake Forest. Wake's an okay team, probably middle of the pack. ACC, we don't know that yet, but they're probably expected to finish somewhere in the middle of the conference field, and um, we're outplayed pretty thoroughly by Wake. We're never down by a ton, but we're never real close late in the game. They were a much more athletic team that night. They got up and down the court with ease, um, got a number of fast-break buckets, blocked a lot of our shots, even some of their guards blocking our bigs, which is a little disappointing. Um, one encouraging note I did notice from that game was that uh, they, they scored a lot of fast-break points, but in the set offense, we played pretty well defensively. They had a hard time getting everything going out of their set offense. A lot of it was runouts and stuff like that. So very very correctable. Had they had to play a half-court game, it would have been a lot closer. We might have even pulled out a victory in Winston. And then um, had a quick turnaround, traveled all the way out to Arizona for a big game. Um, fell behind in that game. I actually wasn't able to see that, but from what I read and heard, uh, fell behind by, I believe, eight in the last minute and nearly staged a record-setting comeback. One pack fans would have remembered for a long time. Javi Gonzalez scored 10 points in the final 30 seconds, all of the team's points, to take, a, I believe it was a 67-59 game at one point, and then it was tied at 74 with six seconds left. He made it uh, one of several baskets with six seconds to tie it, and then um, unfortunately we weren't able to seal the deal. The Arizona player... Uh, broke broke down the court, uh, dribbled coast to coast, and made a layup. So we lost that game as time expired, but um, it could have been a big one. How big would have how big of a win would have that been? Um, we had already beaten Marquette out of conference, who's gotten a and they've notched a couple of big wins. They're a solid Big East team, and a win over them was big. And then you think if we go beat Arizona on the road, having beaten Marquette and Aaron, Arizona on the road would have would have made for a very solid resume. Um, talking about NCAA considerations later down the road, but in a close loss, still doesn't look bad. They're going to take into account that we were on the road against Arizona and played tough, but a win there coupled with that win over Marquette could have had us looking at a potentially uh, very good chance for a, for a run to the um, NCAA tournament for the first time in a while, first time under low. And then um, we followed that up. We played pretty well against Winthrop, not a game I watched real closely, neither that or the UNC Greensboro game, but we won both of those by big margins. Defeated Winthrop December 29th by 16, 68 to 52. Then traveled to Greensboro and beat UNCG uh, 89 to 67 on New Year's Eve. And then uh, the first action of 2009 was quite a heartbreaker. Um, once again, we had some late game heroics by Javi Gonzalez, who's really turned it on late in games, done an incredible job getting big buckets for us down the stretch. We were down in that game, and Gonzalez uh, tied it up with a real late putback in the closing seconds and then uh, sent that game into overtime, and then Javi came out in overtime and started off with, I believe, a three and a tough layup. 
So he really was huge late in regulation and then early in the overtime before. I think we all know what happened. But um, So what exactly happened down the stretch? For those of you who didn't see it, first of all, you should be grateful because it was pretty painful for anybody with an allegiance to the pack. But um, we had a five-point lead with, I believe, 22 seconds remaining. And we missed free throws kind of throughout the game, but not horribly. And also you kind of notice them a lot more real late in the games, and this was certainly the case. We missed three in the final two, 22 seconds. We had missed some in the last minute, but we missed three in the final 22. Um, one of the free throws we missed before that was the front end of a one-and-one. One. So we missed that free throw, and we missed a chance for another one. So that was two points left off, and then we left off three more off the board at the end. And like I said, for those of you who didn't see it, you're lucky, but we, uh, we came down, they fouled us. We were up one. We made one free throw. Missed the second. The second free throw would have made it a three-point game and caused them to have to inbound the ball. We would have been able to set up our defense, but that wasn't the case. We missed the free throw. They got a quick rebound. The guy took two dribbles through a 75-foot heave, I believe, and it hit nothing but net. I was standing there watching it, and I knew I knew it was bad because sometimes on last-minute prayers like that, you hope, okay, maybe they didn't beat the clock. I remember thinking, wow, he let that go too early. So we knew it wasn't a case where the they were going to say time had expired. He definitely let it go early, and the ball didn't even graze the backboard or the rim. It really hit the bottom of the net as cleanly as any shot that whole game. So it was, I knew it instantly that that was, that was good and that it beat the clock and beat the pack and then uh, bounced back with a victory over Holy Cross. And then once again, um, at the Virginia game this past weekend, many of you guys probably also saw that, but... Um, Another game where free throws were big down the stretch, um, not as in dramatic fashion. Virginia didn't need a buzzer beater, but we led by, I believe we had a 43-33 lead with about 12 and a half minutes to play, and we missed seven free throws in the first 10 minutes of the second half. So had we made some of those, who knows what that margin would have been. But um, really, it, free throws weren't the only problem down the stretch of that game. We We weren't able to get stops like we were all game. I think Virginia scored 44 second half points. They scored those, the field goals went away, and then once again, the missed free throws were huge. And in the Virginia game, it was a case of contrast that showed how big a problem free throws were because Virginia made their final 17 free throws Saturday and hit 19 of 20. So that was a tough pill to swallow, seeing what happens when you when you hit your free throws because Virginia just had a small lead, and then they got a stop here and there and made free throws, and they really sealed it with that. And it was like, wow, that's what we could have done against Florida. and so And the lead could have been... We could have had the game pretty close to being out of hand had we shot better, but it wasn't. And down the stretch, they made the ones that counted, and we couldn't get back into it. So what can we kind of expect going forward? Um, who knows? Hopefully hopefully improvement, certainly from the free throw line. And just in general, Tracy Smith has still played great, and Javi's played good late in games. But if you take away Javi late in games, it's really just been a – the offense has been somewhat of a Tracy Smith show. And as we go forward in ACC play – I hate to be so negative. Hopefully he'll continue his success. He certainly hadn't been playing against slouches, but he hadn't been playing against the best big men in the country either. And as we become more and more predictable and face tougher and tougher defenses, you've got to wonder if he's going to keep up scoring 16 and 20 points a game. So we'll see. And certainly free throws are extremely correctable. You think, you know, we um, the Arizona game would have been somewhat of a fluky victory, but the fact is we lost on a buzzer beater out there. Lost on a buzzer beater to a Florida team that's also that we're not the only good team they've beaten. They've beaten a number of ranked teams. They weren't ranked when we played them because they were coming off a couple of losses, but they've beaten a couple, couple really good opponents. Florida's definitely a solid team, almost certainly going to be an NCAA tournament opponent. So those losses aren't the end of the world. And with a young team, you never know. But also the toughest part of our schedule remains ahead of us, and that's going to be tough with this young of a team and a team that looks like Tracy Smith's the main option besides some last-minute stuff by Gonzalez we've seen. Okay. We only have a couple of minutes left, but can you give us a quick wrap-up of football and what's been going on there? Well, the season ended a while ago, but there was some big news. There's two players on this team. We were wondering about whether or not they'll be back. Tony Baker, in uh, news that was encouraging for everybody, was granted a sixth year of eligibility and had the chance to come back, so everybody was excited when we heard that. But unfortunately for us... um, you certainly understand why he made this decision, but bottom line, Tony Baker will not be back. He's decided to try out the NFL draft. Um, pretty unclear on what his what exactly his draft stock is, but it makes sense for him. Um, he's had so many injuries, and he's finally coming off a healthy year, and there's no telling or any guarantee that he would have had another healthy year this year. So you certainly understand um, 
his thought process behind going ahead and trying out pro waters and just wanted to say um, he's done as much for this football team as anybody many fans can remember recently and it's it's a shame he's leaving but it's really awesome um, all he's done for this team and fighting through all those injuries fighting through being out two years to come back this year and be one of the offense's best players really shows his character and commitment to this team and nobody can really blame him for leaving at this point after all he's done for the program how much of an impact do you think his leaving will have on the team um, his backups have shown some flashes, but they're young and they're unproven. Um, his main backup, Jamel Eugene, will also be gone. So there will definitely be a question mark in the backfield. There will definitely be talent. Um, Brandon Barnes and James Washington have both shown a lot of speed and certainly were um, solid recruits and they're great athletes. But whether or not they can um, be every down backs is remains to be seen. But they certainly have some potential. Curtis Underwood's another guy that was a highly touted recruit that fans still haven't seen a lot of, seen a lot of. So the best way to describe that situation is probably as a question mark. And then now, the next player you turn the focus on. We were worried about Baker and Wilson, Russell Wilson. Um, that decision I don't believe will be coming anytime soon at all. So we'll wait that out and hope, hope he uh, stays. Because of losing Baker and Wilson would certainly be, certainly be somewhat of a blow to the program. All right, that sounds good. Thanks, Tyler. We have a lot coming up for tomorrow or today's show. Um, in our VIP segment, Caitlin Colley talked to Chancellor James Woodward about the new chancellor and the things that he should be kind of looking for and the types of challenges that he will be facing. We also have some great community canvas interview with um, a curator from the Greg Museum. And we have our Hear This Review and Sound Bites by Matt Moore, which will talk about the smoking ban. And of course, our Wolfpacker of the Week. So stay tuned. Eye on the Triangles VIP. Talking to people that matter. You're listening to Eye on the Triangles VIP. I'm Caitlin Colley. Today I sat down with Chancellor James Woodward to talk about his time at NC State as well as the work ahead of the new chancellor whom the Board of Governors appointed last Friday. Chancellor Woodward took over as chancellor on an interim basis after the resignation of James Oblinger during the media attention on the former North Carolina First Lady Mary Easley's hiring scandal. New Chancellor Randy Woodson will take over for Woodward no later than May 1st. What was it like being chancellor during a time of unrest for the university? Well, the time of unrest really was right at the beginning of my tenure here. I'd say June was an interesting month, uh, July interesting but it really began to calm down, and the campus, I believe, uh, began to focus on the real work of the university probably by the middle of July. <laughs> well, uh, the chancellor is the chief executive officer of a very, very large enterprise. Some 7,000 employees work for NC State across the state, um, 34,000 students, budget of a billion dollars a year. Um, so... Um, you are, again, the chief executive officer of a very large organization. So you have to make sure to the best you can that the university is doing what it's about, what its core purpose is. But in our case, we continue to deal with uh, external image issues. And, and I think those were dealt with very effectively in short order, mainly because the faculty and staff went about their job here and did a good job uh, for what we're about as a university. Did you feel that you had to stabilize the university? Uh, I felt like I I had to carry out what I would consider to be the normal duties of the chief executive officer of a large university. Uh, stabilize, no, that probably is not the word I would use. But certainly in the first several weeks, we had uh, some image issues, some PR issues to deal with. and uh, But once they were dealt with, again, we went about our business here. So do you think our new chancellor is going to have to fix NC State's image? No, no. I, I think ultimately the image of an organization is determined by the work of the organization. There'll be bumps along the way, but if we do a good job in providing educational opportunities for our students, doing good research, reaching out and serving the people of North Carolina, then uh, our image will be that of a university that is um, – is doing what a public university should do. And so I don't think he will have what I would consider to be unusual issues to deal with regarding image because this is a very good university doing very good work. Do you think he has any big challenges apart from the image? 
Uh, I think there's always a challenge with a growing organization, uh, a state entity, um, and there's always problems with funding, especially right now with the economic downturn. So I think his biggest problem will be ensuring that uh, we use the funds provided to us in the best possible way, and he certainly got the experience that would indicate he, he will do that. But I think his his major challenge will be to look long-term, uh, help determine with others what NC State should be 10 or 15 years down the road, and do those things today that will help achieve whatever that purpose is. What's been your proudest accomplishment as interim chancellor? Well, I guess my proudest accomplishment, and I really hesitate to take credit as an individual. Uh, certainly, I, I spent a good bit of time in the first month or so dealing with the image problem. Um, uh, I was pleased to see that problem dissipate as quickly as it did. So I'm, I guess I'm proud for the university that that happened. I played some role in it, but again, the good work done by the faculty and staff, the principal reasons that we got past that as quickly as we did. From the way you talk about NC State, it seems you see a lot of resilience in us. Well, I, I knew that this was a really good university. And what I mean by that is that this campus has attracted outstanding faculty and staff um, People that are dedicated to its core mission, um, again, providing high-quality educational programs for the students, research, service, that type of thing. Uh, this is a, a better university than even I knew. As I got here and came to know many of the faculty, the senior faculty, the various staff that ran key units of the campus, what I found was a better university than I thought was here, and I thought it was an outstanding university before I came. Is there anything you wish you could have done differently? Um, no, there's really not. I'm honored to have been here these several months. I look forward to welcoming our next chancellor. Uh, Randy Woodson is going to be a superb chancellor for NC State. He's got exactly the kind of background that this campus needs. Uh, and he, he will bring with him a family that will become part of NC State as well. His wife, Susan will be visible, will be engaged with this campus and community. The students will come to know both of them, and I have no doubt but what the students will love her and probably like him, but she she's going to be a special addition to this campus. Well, I, I did meet the spouses of all of the candidates, the finalists, and had time to talk with them uh, about what they saw their role being here. Didn't ask that question directly, but obviously listened to what they said. Uh, Susan uh, and Randy married while they were students at the University of Arkansas. She has a degree in design. At um, the current university, she was engaged, very much engaged with the community on various not-for-profit boards, uh, actually established, provides, publishes a local magazine. She's a very creative person. But as I talked with her, what I heard her say over and over again was what she, working with Randy, would be able to contribute to this institution. Uh, she really sees uh, them as being a team. Now, obviously, he will be the chief executive officer, but she will frequently be the social face of this institution. As the students come into their home, they will see her. They'll be greeted by a very gracious, warm individual. Uh, the students, again, will come to love her, I believe. Because I never thought of things that way, the chancellor and their spouse working as a team. Well, my wife and I did. We um, we served University of North Carolina at Charlotte for 16 years. And when we retired, we added up all of the receptions that we had hosted in our house during those 16 years. And it was something in excess of 600. And I do not think there was a single reception in our house where we did not have students. Many times the receptions dealt with some group of students, but anytime we had community people in the house, we always had students. And so the students really came to know her, came to see her as the hostess for the house and really came to see her as a part of the university. And I really believe that the same will uh, be true for Randy and Susan uh, when they get here in, uh, in April. 
So in this new administration, even though in the selection there wasn't much transparency, do you think there will be an element of transparency? Well, the selection wasn't transparent because our purpose, and I was not on the search committee, but the purpose of the search committee was to attract the interest of the best candidates in the country to give the search committee an opportunity to evaluate them and ultimately identify and recruit to this campus the best candidate. And I think they were successful in doing that. An open search simply does not work at this level. You do not get the best candidates. Um, letting their names go forward, letting their names go public as a, as a candidate. Uh, so uh, though you really would like to run an open search, the fact is that it doesn't work at this level. But this is a man who has a history of working closely with uh, the media, who himself uh, has a reputation as being open within the university, in particular the students. So I think he will uh, he will bring this uh, this commitment to transparency, this commitment to being available to the position. And I think very quickly we'll forget that uh, we had to run a confidential search in order to find him. Anything else you'd like to add? There's not a thing other than I've enjoyed being a part of NC State. And as I remind people, uh, I have an obligation to continue to serve as chancellor of this institution until Randy Woodson gets here. And uh, the biggest smile on this uh, that you'll find on this campus will be on my face the day he walks in the door here. Thank you so much. We've enjoyed having you here at WKNC and as the interim chancellor for NC State University. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being with you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eye on the Triangle. Now we'll take a short break and we'll hear our Community Canvas segment. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. On Thursday, February 4th, 2010, the Gregg Museum and the Tally Student Center is hosting an opening reception for two new exhibitions, Faces and Mazes, and with Lath and Chisel, North Carolina woodturners and carvers. Community Canvas is talking with Zoe Starling, curator of education at the Gregg Museum at NC State. Zoe, when did you first get involved with the Gregg Museum? I started working at the Gregg Museum about five years ago. And what brought you here? Um, I'm originally from Raleigh. Um, and I ended up um, going back to graduate school in New York City and lived there for several years. And I had previously um, done an internship with the director, Charlotte Brown, who retired last year, actually. Um, and so I contacted her when I moved back to Raleigh, and she um, let me know of the availability of curator of education. And it ended up that I took the position. Can you tell us a little bit about the spring exhibitions coming up? We're very excited about the spring exhibitions at the Gregg Museum. Opening on January 21st is with Lathe and Chisel, North Carolina Woodturners and Carvers. Dale Nish is the cur- guest curator of this exhibition, and he is a well-known woodturner himself. He has selected over 60 pieces for this exhibition. Approximately 30 artists, North Carolina Woodturners, will be included in this show. Leah Cook will actually be opening in our small gallery. She's a fiber artist from California. She uses an electronic jacquard loom to create these fiber uh, works of art that are based on digital photography. We're, we're very excited about this. On February 4th, we're going to have an opening reception for both shows. Dale Nish will be available to talk about his work as well as selected woodturners from the exhibition. On February 5th, Dale Nish will do a demonstration at the Craft Center from 6 to 8. And on March 4th, Leah Cook will be here to speak about her work as part of our Artists and Objects Lecture Series, which we hold the first Thursday of every month at the Gregg Museum beginning at 6 p.m. How are these demonstrations and exhibits different from things at the Gregg Museum over previous semesters or even previous years? Right. Well, typically the Gregg, we curate shows from our own permanent collection as well as we um, put together shows that our staff supervises, and then we have traveling exhibitions. So this semester, the Woodturner, actually we do have a few pieces from our permanent collection, but we've a guest curator has been involved in this exhibition, and Leah Cook is a traveling show, as I said, um, the artist is from California. So we are bringing this show to the Greg from outside venues. Does the Greg have any more events planned for the rest of the year? Yes, our registrar of the collection at the Greg Museum, Mary Hauser, has curated a show of over 150 hats from our permanent collection, which will be installed in the east wing of D.H. Hill Library um, January through July of the spring semester. And she will be giving a talk at D.H. Hill on February 24th, a bag lunch talk at D.H. Hill from 12 to 1 p.m. Let's see. And Charles Joyner 
professor of photography at the College of Design, will be speaking again with, um, in conjunction with our Artists and Objects Lecture Series about photography from our permanent collection. He'll be speaking at the Gregg Museum, Museum again on April 8th at 6 p.m. in conjunction with a reception that the Campus Arts Council has put together featuring artists who have been selected as part of the student art purchase. Will you tell us a little bit more about the student art purchase? Um, this happens every year, and it's sponsored again by the um, Campus Art Council. Any student can submit artwork, and it's um, selected by a committee. Approximately, typically 10 to 15 art pieces are selected with a purchase fund that has allowed the works to be purchased, and they're hung in Tally Student Center. What sets the Gregg Museum apart from other museums? If you had to give us a mission statement in your own words of the Gregg Museum, what would it be? Oh, the Gregg Museum is here uh, first to serve the students of NC State campus. We're a research institution, so we um, collect. We're also a collecting institution, and we collect what the university teaches. So, therefore, we have over 5,000 textiles in our collection, photography, furniture, works on paper, pottery. So what we our mission is to try to incorporate our collection with classes on campus so that professors will bring their students, incorporate our collection into their syllabus. How do you decide what to display in the museum? Well, that's um, a collaborative effort. Our staff, we meet pre-regularly to discuss, um, again, how to balance exhibitions from our permanent collection with touring exhibitions. How far out do you have to plan the exhibits? Uh, we usually plan about two to three years ahead of time, so it does require a lot of um, thought process. And If we want to do a publication and borrow works from other institutions, etc., it generally takes that long to plan out for these shows. Has anything interested happened uh, behind the scenes that maybe interns have been privy to uh, over at the Greg? Wow. <laughs> Last minute um, rush to have the show open at six, <laughs> six o'clock on the night of an opening. Uh, I think no matter I think any art institution, gallery, or museum would say that no matter how much you plan, it tends to be the last minute is always the crunch time. So I think I think the interns will would get to see a lot of that. And also just when we receive objects that have been donated to our collection, just the process of accessioning them into our collection and just the, the whole process behind the scene of what, what how an object goes through that process. How do you plan to get um, increased attendance to the Greg, bring in more money to the university? This seems to be working very well at other universities. Even on the event page on Facebook, only seems to have a few confirmed guests right now. Well, we actually, Facebook is a new thing, thanks to Hillary Kinlaw, our program assistant, who is here with me today. Um, our, we have just started doing Facebook uh, this year, I believe. Hillary, isn't that right? So maybe the last six months. So I think as we build on that, I think it's going to become a wonderful advertising tool for the Gregg Museum. So we're just starting to experiment with those type of things. Um, internet advertisement, um, community advertisements, and, on, and working with professors on campus is how we um, target our audience. So I think that's definitely going to grow as we, as we advance with these, these, this new technology. So we have young people on our staff that help us learn how to Twitter. So that's a good thing. What about plans to bring maybe a more high-profile artist or bigger-name artist to the Greg? Are there any plans for that in the future? Um, actually, Barbara Lee Smith, um, who is a te another textile artist, will be coming here in spring of 2011, and we're very excited. This is going to be a group show that she's curated, so we're going to have her work, and then she will have selected other textile artists from around the country and a few outside of the country uh, to be in this show. So we're very excited about this. The show is called Traces. How much student involvement is there with the museum? Um, we have a lot of student involvement with the museum. Well, we have our internship program, but in terms of um, professors that bring their classes, especially from the College of Design and the College of Textiles, to utilize our permanent collection, we have we have a great deal of that going on during the academic year. Uh, we also have, we are very involved with Arts Village. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. It's um, a living and learning community. The first of its kind on NC State campus, it's in Turlington. This is its third year, and about we have up to 160 residents in this program um, already. So we do a lot of work with the Arts Village, and they are required to attend events. The Gregg Museum is part of Arts NC State, which is the umbrella organization for all the arts on campus. So the students are required to not only attend our events, but um, dance, center stage, music, um, university theater, the craft center, um, they're required to attend those events as well. So we have a lot of involvement with the Arts Village, and we enjoy having them. Are there any plans to change the Gregg Museum with the changes being planned for the new Tally Student Center? Um, I think we're still kind of waiting on that to hear about how the, I think in the next month or so, there are going to be some decisions made as to, um, you know, our space allocations and things like that.
You've been listening to Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. And uh, thank you very much, Zoe, for helping us learn a little bit more about the Gregg Museum over in the Tally Student Center. Hear this on Eye on the Triangle. Your local music news. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's Hear This segment. With us here today is DJ MC Luck to talk to us a little bit about a show she attended this weekend. MC Luck, do you want to give us some details about that? Yeah, um, on Friday night, I went down to the Poor House in downtown Raleigh to see Lonnie Walker, Megafon, and the Rosebuds. Um, it was a show I'd been looking forward to for a long time. Those are three awesome local bands, and to see them all together was just really amazing. Um, the show was sold out, and all three of those acts are just some of my favorite local acts um, that I would go see individually. But they're very unique, and uh, but all together, the show was just very well put together. Um, Lonnie Walker played an awesome set. Um, Megafon was also great. I, I know I'm using just a lot of superlatives here, but the crowd just got really into all three acts, and the Rosebuds especially were into um, getting the crowd involved in all of their songs and you know played some old songs, played some new songs. Um, I really enjoyed Megafon's songs I recognized from Gather, Form, and Fly out this summer. And all together, it was just a great night. Awesome. Now you said you'd been looking forward to it for a while. Uh Why is that? Um, Well, I heard about the show in November um, and it said, you know, get your tickets now. It might sell out. And I think I bought the tickets the day they came out. Uh, Lonnie Walker is a band that I really started liking after last year's Double Barrel Benefit. Um, And so I've been really into them since then. And and their album, These Times, Old Times, I've played so many times since it came out. Same with Megafon, really. When Gather, Form, and Fly came out was the first time I really heard them and really enjoyed that album as well and I hadn't seen them live before so that's always exciting and the Rosebuds is just an old favorite of mine so altogether the show just sounded like it'd be awesome and it definitely fulfilled my expectations. Can you kind of describe the styles of each band? Yeah um Lonnie Walker's hard to pin down um Lonnie Walker's kind of hard to pin down um he's so edgy and just kind of out there I, I don't know what genre to put that band into. I don't know that there is one. Maybe he's creating, Brian Corm's creating his own genre um, and the band is, is following along with that. Uh, Megafon has got more of a folk feel, more of an alt country feel. Um, and the Rosebuds, I think, are also, I'm not sure how to classify the Rosebuds either. Um, a, a lot of their songs are, are different from one another. Um, they have some songs that sound a little bit more modern, I guess, um, like Get Up, Get Out definitely sounds a little bit more modern than some of their their older songs, um, like Back to Boston's just a little more just typical indie rock. But I think their sound just kind of morphs and changes over time, uh, but doesn't ever stay in one specific genre or sound. So that's that's a cool feature about the Rosebuds. Now we'll go ahead and play a short clip for our listeners from the Rosebuds. The song is called Get Up, Get Out. And then we'll come back to you, MC Luck. And that again was Get Up, Get Out from the Rosebuds' Night of the Furies. So, MC Luck, what would you say was unique about this show? Um, what I would say is unique about this show is that, at least for me, these are three bands that I I loved all three. Um, and they're all unique, but it just really showcases what's special about Raleigh music and um, North Carolina music in general. I really think that we have something special going on in this area that I'm definitely appreciative of. I think a lot of shows I go to, I'm going to see one band. And the openers, sometimes I'll be pleasant pleasantly surprised or sometimes I'll be a little disappointed and just kind of waited out to get to the band that I wanted to see but with this show all three acts were equally good I think any of them could have headlined and um and the show still would have been great great now we'll play a clip from Lonnie Walker's feels like right come in close you talk into That was Lonnie Walker's Feels Like Right off of WKNC's Hear Hear compilation album. Okay, so MC, like you talked a little bit about how all the bands are unique. How would you say these bands differ in their styles, especially in terms of their live shows? Uh, yeah, I think Lonnie Walker is so upbeat. Um, he gets, or Brian Corm, the front man, gets so into it. And uh, so I'd say that's definitely exciting to see. Um, he just really livens up the crowd. And then Megafon, I think you really get to appreciate their instruments a lot more live. Um, you can definitely hear them 
clearly on the albums, but just to see them playing and kind of harmonizing all together is really special. And then the Rosebuds, they're, I mean, their music on the albums are, their songs are upbeat, but they are just so engaging um, live and just with everybody dancing and singing along, it just is so fun. Um, so while I, I love listening to, listening to their albums all the time, um, seeing them live is just kind of a whole different experience. That sounds good. Now we'll play a clip from Megaphone's The Longest Day. Waiting for a sign Wanting you to take my hand Breathless in the morning Gone to better land And that was Megaphone's The Longest Day from Gather, Form, and Fly. So, MC Luck, was there any collaboration between the bands at all? Yeah, actually, uh, Brad Cook from Megaphone was on stage with the Rosebuds. Um, and I just think that's really awesome that they're able to play together. Um, they mentioned that they don't always get to do that and just in Raleigh. And it just seemed like they really enjoyed being home and, and working together um, in their hometown. So that was cool. The atmosphere was probably pretty different now that the uh, smoking ban has taken effect too, right? Yeah, I keep forgetting about it. Um, when I walked into the poorhouse, they had a sign above the bar that said no smoking. And I was like, oh man, yes, I'm not going to smell like an ashtray when I leave tonight. <laughs> and it's true, I didn't. I could even wear... Actually, um, the Rosebuds, the, the lead singer, Ivan, he actually mentioned it. And he, he said um, he was glad because he could wear the same outfit the next day without having to change his clothes. So um, it was just, it made it really nice for me uh, to not smell really bad when I left. Overall, how would you rate the show? I would rate the show 9 out of 10. It was almost a perfect show. Um, one of the best I've seen this year. I mean, I know we're only a couple weeks in, but I would say one of the best I've seen since I've been here at NC State. Very cool. Why not 10 out of 10? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just I hesitate to give anyone a 10 out of 10. <laughs> Maybe a 10 out of 10 if they had brought me up on stage That's and uh, let me sing along with them. I don't know. <laughs> Student of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. Talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. You're listening to 88.1 WKNC's Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpackers of the Week. This evening, two students, Jack Zappel and Addison Hardy, talk about going into the business of enhancing your gizmos, gadgets, and thingamabobs. My name is Jack Zappel. My name is Addison Hardy. And we are two of the co-founders of Harmonist Inc., which is an iPhone development company right now. The other two members of our team are uh, Keenan Simpson, and he's our CEO, and he's the economics major, and Charles Gross, Najar, and he's a physics major here, and he leads up our science department. I'm the CAO, that's Chief Administrative Officer, and Addison is the uh, lead developer and CTO. She's a Chief Technology Officer. It's been really interesting for me to see four friends, you know, who got along really well and didn't have any problems coming up with creative ideas, then try and translate that into a company. You know, each person sort of has taken on their own unique role, and we've started to work together very efficiently. We all live in different areas of the state, and we all live in different places uh, around NC State University. So we have to work a lot over the phone, over the Internet, through email and instant messaging, and we collaborate very well even though we have that distance as a concern. We all first came together at the end of last semester. We're transfer students, and we met up basically in the library one night and started hammering out ideas, and it turned into Harmonist Inc. Uh, I, think, I think it was easy for us to come together. I mean, one, the school is really focused on engineering technology, and so it has a great program, and, I mean, that brought Addison here. I mean, there's a lot of resources that we can use here that we probably couldn't find at other colleges. And so, I mean, that combined with Keenan with his economics and me and Charles, it's it's all just come together pretty well here. I don't really know why it doesn't happen at other schools or I mean, it might be able to, but I really doubt it just cuz we're so technology driven and this school is so such a good conduit for that that it just happened. Whenever you look at sort of the the past history of the big tech companies out there right now, Microsoft, Apple, Google, 
all of them had their roots in major engineering schools. Harvard, uh, Stanford, MIT, all of those schools contributed directly to either a founder coming from one of those schools or graduates becoming an initial part of the company and really pushing it along. So at a school like State that is an engineering college, just the resources and the level of education that's available here is going to help us along our way. We named our company Harmony Sync. Harmony is kind of the idea of, of working together, of humanity and technology kind of coming together. And most of our apps are really simple to use, and pretty easy. We're just trying to incorporate technology into everyday life where it's really simple to use and it'll just make life a lot easier. What we've got right now is a lot of devices in the world that people use. Uh, maybe they have three or four of them in their pockets each day, and they each do a really specific thing. You know, they've got an MP3 player, a phone, they've got a TV at home, a laptop, you know, and all these devices, they don't really work together. You can't get the video from your TV on your phone, can't pull in the audio from your radio into your phone. Uh, the other way, your phone can't control those devices or send media to them. Uh, it's a very closed system. And what we want to do at Harmonist is sort of create harmony between each of those different devices and bring them together. Some of our apps include Over the Limit, which is an app that tells you your uh, BAC based on how many drinks you've had. And if you've had too much, it also helps you find taxis in the area. A few of the other apps are Drumpad, which is a, an app that you just shake or touch and it'll play drums or any type of you know, percussion instrument that we've programmed into it. If you're in a noisy study environment, you can use our app called Study Sound to help you study. It plays uh, soothing sounds that utilize white noise to block out area noise. All of our apps are pretty much marketed towards college students because all of us are college students here at State. And so we, I mean, pretty much all of our ideas come from necessity that we encounter. Like two of our people in our company wear contacts like Addison does. Sometimes they'd get real itchy because he'd forget to change them. So we came up with LensTrack to make sure that, you know, you would never forget about them again. Uh, right now we've got three apps that are up in the App Store. And we've got two more that are coming out probably by the end of this week. Uh, we're really excited about the possibilities these apps will bring, uh, especially for college students. Just about all of them are useful for a college student, whether you want to be safe while drinking, um, you want to know when to change your contacts each week, or you just want to have fun with your friends and play drums. Right now, the most of our business is done on the iPhone. It's the most popular smartphone out there. It's got the most apps. It's got the most revenue potential. But as Google improves its Android phone and that becomes more popular, we definitely want to start making Android apps that correlate with our iPhone apps. It also brings some new ideas to Android. Android's currently a much smaller platform. iPhone has about 100,000 apps. Android, you're looking at less than 10,000. And the Palm Pre is also a new device that is gaining a lot of ground. So branching out into other mobile devices and maybe eventually making our own would be a great future for Harmonist. And we're not just talking about mobile devices. We're thinking of branching out into other stuff, uh, solar energy, stuff like that. I mean, just after we get off the ground with the iPhone development. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle. This has been Wolfpacker of the Week. Sound bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around the NC State campus. Hi, I'm Matt Moore, and you're listening to Sound Bites and I in the Triangle. This week, I got students and locals' opinions on the smoking ban that took effect January 2nd. Kevin McPherson. Well, I, I couldn't have come at a worse time. I mean, you know, if they'd waited till spring, maybe it would be all right. I mean, you know, having to stand out in the cold. I can understand why the people that put it into effect did it at all, but it's just kind of annoying. It hasn't so far, because I come a few times a week, so, you know, it's... it's it hasn't cut it down. I haven't been to a bar or a restaurant or anywhere like that since it went into effect, so I don't know how it affects businesses like that. Well, just in general, because it seems like if you go to a bar, if you dr if you smoke and you drink, you smoke more. I don't. At least I found that. Big. So it, it hasn't cut down my coming here now. My name is Dave, owner of Cup of Joe, and regarding the smoking ban, it's too soon to say anything conclusive. However, we're not worried about it. People can smoke outside. Most of our smokers are, uh, are long-time customers, and I think they're loyal to the product and the uh, staff and everything, so we're not, we're not particularly worried about it. And there are plenty of people who maybe stop coming in because of the excessive smoke who hopefully will return, and uh, hopefully we'll see them again after a few years of absence. <laughs> I think there's been enough press about the 
the subject in general that most people figured out. There's been a few customers who were a little surprised that they weren't allowed to smoke in coffee shops, but not many. So we, we're required to put signs in the store. Daniel Fleischer, I'm a math graduate student. I like it a lot. I don't smoke. And actually, I stopped coming here, and I stopped going to Jackpot because of all the smoke. So it's been very good so far. Logan Sales, and I'm a senior in graphic design. It's been really great, actually, because I can go get a cup of coffee and not smell like a pack of cigarettes. I mean, I came here a lot, but I would not come into, like, you know, this side used to be the smoking side. And I don't know, it's just kind of dumb. So it's, it's nice that I can just sit wherever the hell I want now. And it's, Seems a lot cleaner in here too. I was here the day after the ban, and I swear they were like scrubbing the legs of the tables and stuff. And a lot of the bars I go to also are a lot nicer smelling. And I, I don't have to, during the winter it's really a hassle because you wear like a coat out to the bar and you come home smelling horrible. And it's kind of a pain to wash your coat all the time. I think it'll be better for businesses. I, I think smokers will keep smoking, they'll just go outside, you know. It kind of sucks for them now because it's so cold, but meh, they'll get over it. <laughs> Uh, Tim Kiernan, an alumni. I hate smoking so much, so. I actually used to work at Cup of Joe a long time ago, and um, I worked here for like a year, and I hated like coming back and smelling like cigarettes. It was miserable, I hated it. But yeah, I haven't been in here in a long time. First time I've been back. I plan to go to a lot of places now, but smoking is outlawed. Derek Arnold, I have come here less. Uh, I find I'm still going to the same bar, Players Retreat, probably four times a week. And they've got heaters outside, so it's, it's comfortable. I'm actually going to quit. And I've been trying to do that before the ban, but now it's a lot easier because if I'm smoking like I was, then I'm going outside every 45 minutes. Now I find I'm going out maybe every couple of three hours. I'll have two, and then I'm back inside. So I'm, I'm cutting down. I, I was a pack a day. Now I'm maybe a pack every two or three days. So I'm sure that'll keep going down. Um, at first... Before it was enacted, I was with the naysayers and all this. Oh, no, they shouldn't do it. Oh, it's North Carolina and all that stuff. But now I just see it as if you're going to smoke, you're going to smoke, you're going to be cold. If you're going to quit, you're going to quit. And this will help you to do it. Thomas Ross, uh, manager and bartender at Sammy's Tavern Grill. Ah, it really hasn't affected us at all. I mean, customers come in, they know it's not our fault. So, yeah, it really hasn't affected business whatsoever. A lot of complaints, but nothing towards us. I mean, you have a select few that come in and still, you know, take out their anger on us, but they know we have no control of it. We're just obeying the law, and that's the only thing we can do. We provide a section outside for the smokers and everything, so we cater to their needs, you know. Yeah, they don't, they don't really take out the anger on us. I think the initial impact will be some people reluctant to come out, and not just with here, everywhere where you can't smoke. Um, but I think after, you know, a month or so, people are going to realize it's everywhere. It's not just the business's decision, obviously. It's a law. So people, I, I don't think it affects us in the long run whatsoever. And that was Sound Bites on I Am The Triangle. I'm Matt Moore. that wraps up another episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Don't forget to tune in next week, same time, Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Also, email us ideas, suggestions, anything you want, publicaffairs at wknc.org. You can also nominate people for Wolfpacker of the Week on our website, wknc.org slash EOT. Also, check out our blog on the same page or on wknc.org slash blog. Thanks for tuning in.